Welcome to season four of the Charity Matters podcast. I'm Heidi Johnson, lifelong helper, nonprofit founder, and your host. I've been interviewing the helpers for a decade with my blog, and I'm so excited to now be sharing these inspiring conversations on our podcast. Join me as we learn the challenges and stories of innovators, entrepreneurs, and modern day heroes who set out to solve the problems of humanity. We're so excited today to have our guest, Natalie Silverstein, nonprofit founder and author of the new book, Simple Acts, A Busy Teen's Guide to Making a Difference. So welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much, Heidi. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Thanks so much for having me. We are so excited. We usually only interview nonprofit founders, but we get a bonus today. Yes. And we're really excited to kind of learn your whole journey through everything you've had. You've done a little bit of everything. You've, you've helped start a chapter of a nonprofit. You founded a foundation, a nonprofit, and you're an author. So um, this is like a trifecta. So it's such a thrill. To well, and I want to thank you. I want to thank you for sort of taking a chance on me. I love that I'm sort of the first person that breaks the mold just a little bit on your genre. You are. You are breaking the mold. And, and that's, I think, in, in a lot of ways, sums up what you're trying to do with your work. I- I hope so. And I also think that um, my story and the work that I do generally would be of great interest to the folks that listen to your podcast. So I hope I hope that's true. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, first of all, you are my people. I love what you're doing. Anyone who's spreading, spreading the message of service is just um, an angel on earth in my in my opinion. So um, just kudos to you for that. But like just you know, I always say people don't start out, wake up when they're little and say, I'm going to be a nonprofit founder. You know, that usually doesn't make the top 10 list of occupations or I'm going to write about nonprofits. So talk to me a little bit about growing up. I mean, did you have a philanthropic, were you from a family that did a lot of, you know, charitable good, charity work, or kind of what was your early imprint? Well, you know, it's that's sort of an interesting question, and I don't often get it. And it's funny because I really didn't have a very um, philanthropic sort of uh, service-oriented upbringing. My parents were immigrants from Ukraine, which is a whole other story and a whole other podcast. Um, But they came here after World War II. Wow. Yeah, uh, they were both born uh, born and raised there. Um, they actually met in a displaced persons camp, which is what we would call a refugee camp today. Um, and they both came over to the United States after the war um, in 1949, and they married in 1950. And um, so I'm a first-generation American. I'm very much a Ukrainian-American. And so that's a whole, again, a whole other story. So as immigrants, as people without very much education, um, Um, you know, the war sort of disrupted their educations, Um, you know, they gave back to their church. Uh, They gave to other Ukrainians who were coming over to get settled, but philanthropically um, and also having the time and the resources to do work in their community, they very much um, volunteered and and participated and gave so much to their church community because that was really foundational for them. But really going out and working at the soup kitchen or um, cleaning up the, you know, the parks or doing any of that kind of work that I talk about so much now is not what we did um, growing up. So uh, that being said, I do have some very, uh, very strong memories. Um, being a young child, my mom was a big supporter of um, the um, St. Jude, because oh, yeah. I think he just Danny loved- Thomas. She, she just loved Annie Thomas. And so she always, um, I don't know if you remember this, I think I'm older than you, uh, you know, they would send out a little like solicitation. Thanksgiving, and she, right. 
five dollars in the yeah. thing, and then they oh. would send you um, your return address stickers. Do you remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I do. She did that until her. She just passed away in the fall. She did that almost until her death. She would send them five dollars in the mail. Um, and I also was recently sharing with someone that a very strong memory is watching the Jerry Lewis telethon. Oh yeah, Again, I remember that too. Aging myself, um, Jerry Lewis, my, my parents loved television. They loved comedy and all of that good stuff. And I would watch the Jerry Lewis telethon, which I believe was around Labor Day, if I'm not mistaken. And they would let me call on the telephone uh, on my mother's green um, avocado green phone. And someone would answer the phone. And I always watched the television to see if I could figure out who was answering the phone, you know. And um, I would pledge a few dollars. And they would send me an envelope. And I would give my mother, I would give my mother like $2 of my money from my piggy bank. And she would write a check. And we put it in it. And that was for, um, I believe, children with muscular dystrophy. Yeah, that's correct. Um, So again, these are such funny, weird, uh, philanthropic memories. But but there's still those seeds that get planted. And at the end of the day, the work that we all do is creating community and your parents supported their community, whether it's their church, which is what, you know, people support their educational and their religious communities first and foremost in our country. That's what we do. And especially as an immigrant nation, we always support um, where we came from. We support our own. I mean, that's just the, the immigrant way and the way that Americans have done it for for centuries now. So that, that makes sense to me. I think that's really fantastic. So I know you were in healthcare since I've read a little bit about your background, but tell me kind of the evolution from, um, from healthcare to kind of starting um, in the kind of the nonprofit volunteering space and how we get to this nonprofit founding to author, like, yes, give us a little bit of the story. It's a winding road. It's a typical sort of midlife career change, winding road sort of story. But um, I think uh, I always wanted to do something where I was helping people. So as I was coming up through high school and into college, I decided to study health policy and administration because I wanted to work in a healthcare environment. I wanted to help people, but I didn't want to be a nurse or a doctor or a hands-on caregiver. I didn't want to be a clinician. That was not my strength. That was not my um, wheelhouse in terms of what I was comfortable with studying in school. It was really more business related, uh, writing, you know, again, writing, business, marketing, accounting. So I have a health policy degree and then I worked in a hospital when I graduated in administration, strategic planning, and I decided to get a, a master's in public health. So you know, in a small way, this this 15 year career in, in healthcare and, and hospitals and managed care companies and that sort of thing was sort of foundational to this other work that I'm doing. Um, everything when you're a helper, was, Natalie, you're right, a helper. And I think um, I've heard recently someone say, you know, you can't really connect the dots going forward. You can only connect the dots going backwards, right? So um, fast forward, um, I had three children. After my third child was born, I decided to stay home and focus on raising my kids and and, uh, all of that. And at some point in those years, um, this work uh, becoming sort of um, an expert, a resource for people who want to do service in their community, that really started to develop. And then simultaneously, we found out that my young husband uh, was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And so 
so we were in a position, he had worked in um, healthcare venture capital um, very successfully. And in fact, um, mostly focused on funding companies that were doing research into rare diseases. And he has a particularly um, unique sort of genetic form of Parkinson's. And so he said, you know what, I have all of these friends in research and in science um, and in venture capital, I think we should start a foundation. And here I have a background in running healthcare companies and right. nonprofits, and I worked for nonprofits and startups, and it's sort of a funny synergy. You know, it was sort of like two people Beautiful. that had this um, terrible thing happen, of course, to our family, and yet we decided to turn that around and try and make something positive out of it. So we founded uh, the Silverstein Foundation for Parkinson's with GBA, and I, of course, became executive director and vice president and chief cook and bottle washer because um, this is my skill set. And um, I do think everything sort of happens for a reason in that regard. I think it's fascinating because unfortunate things happen every day, all the time to people all over the world at every minute, something's happening, but not everybody takes that and turns it into something positive. And that to me is like the secret thing that I'm on the quest to. And that's my Holy grail. Like I just, that's why I love talking to people like you to learn about that, because there's a lot of ways to go when you're delivered some unfortunate news. There's, there's a lot of ways you can, a lot of directions and to choose a path to take that and use it as fuel for good to help other people is remarkable and beautiful and fantastic and inspirational and all the things that I think that we all aspire for. So I think that that's just incredible. I think that's incredible. Well, thank you. Um, I also think that, I love that, that phrase from um, that movie, get busy living or get busy dying, right? Yes. So we could take this news and um, sit with it and feel sad and, you know, focus on our family, which of course is the most important thing. And we did that initially, but we also became sort of energized and said, you know, if there's a solution to be had, if we can accelerate research into finding a cure, why would we not do that? And I think all of the great nonprofits out there, it's certainly in the healthcare space, the Michael J. Fox Foundation, um, Cycle for Survival. I mean, look at Cycle for Survival. This is a woman who had a rare disease. She unfortunately lost her life to it. And yet in her memory, and since she passed, millions upon millions of dollars have been raised by people Keep riding right. stationary bikes. Right. And um, that money has been funneled directly into research at Memorial Sloan Kettering into these rare diseases. I have a dear have friend a who, who passed away from glioblastoma, which is a brain cancer that is- I have a friend you know, with it right um, now. Lethal, and, and so she was very active in an organization that someone started uh, to try and, and get research around this. Um, and so there are so many of these stories where people are faced with this very, very difficult news and they could turn that inward and they could get sad and feel sorry for themselves right. or you could turn it outward and say, what small thing, what, what kind of legacy might I leave if I could move the needle even a couple of inches? Well, and, and, and also to bring people with you on your journey, which is so important. And my um, stepmother has Parkinson's and has had it for 10, 12 years. And we, our family gets together and we do the, the, the walk. There's a big Parkinson's walk with the Parkinson's foundation. And we all get together and we get sponsors and our whole family does this. And 
it's a way for our family to rally around her. It's a way for us to bring other people in to kind of, who might not know about it, who want to support awareness. her. Right. And, is, yeah, um, it's about and raising it's, awareness and raising awareness and raising money. And right. hopefully, hopefully, um, and we have seen this over the course of the last 20 years, right? Research has accelerated. We know it used to take literally decades for something to go from clinic into humans. Right. And now that period of time has been, you know, Look at the look at the COVID vaccine, right? I mean, this is we are on the cusp of this kind of research, and so um, our ability to sort of instigate that and to and to have this kind of hive mind mentality, right, where we have a lot of really smart people focusing on one thing, and we might we might just make a difference. So we've funded uh, thirty five or more, and we're right in the process of funding a few more um, grants. And um, we were not a big public foundation. We did not do a, a lot of big fundraisers. Um, people just kind of gave us money and said, "We we believe in this." Um, and so we've we've done some really wonderful grants that we're really hopeful about. We've partnered with the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Michael is amazing. Um, we're we're great friends uh, with that organization, and um, you know we we believe that they they've been around for 20 years yeah. and they've raised a lot of money. And again, I, I think they've done a lot of good in terms of patient care and support and all those important things. We were really just hyper-focused on the research, on the research. and moving the needle on, on coming to a cure. I love that. One of my very first interviews for Charity Matters was um, a family that had a child called, it's a Saving Tiny Hearts Foundation. And they had a child that was um, born with a congenital heart disease. And they were in the elevator on the way to the attorney's office to start a lawsuit against the doctor for not telling them about this. And, and they looked at each other in the elevator and said, what are we doing? Mm. What are we doing? Why don't we just funnel all this energy into, into a cure? And they've been doing research you know, and it's the same thing. And I think about them all the, all the time and, uh, and their legacy is such a beautiful, positive one as is, you know, as is what you're doing with your foundation. I think that that is unbelievable. So you guys start this foundation, you're doing that, you're raising your kids and then, and then that isn't enough. You need a little well, more, you need a little more. Well, the, you know, this, this work that I was doing with um, sort of helping families to connect with their passion and their purpose and to find ways to volunteer together in their communities, um, that was just stuff I was doing with my own kids. So, so let's just be really honest, right? Um, life is what happens while you're making other plans. So <laughs> my kids are, are little and um, I'm, I'm here trying like hell to raise them to be grateful, grounded, empathetic kind people, because right. at the end of the day, that's the most important thing that we can do as parents, right? All the other stuff works itself out. Here's, here's the secret. I have a 21 year old, a 19 year old and a 14 year old. It all works out. I promise. And it works out if you really focus on living your values and role modeling those for your kids and teaching them that they are not the center of the universe and that there are people out there who can, you can give your help to, because at some point in your life, you're going to need help as well right? That's what mutual aid is all about. Yes. So I was desperate um, to find opportunities to volunteer in our community. We live in New York City, <laughs> which is a large community of right. a lot of people, uh, a lot of wealth and a lot of need. And so I was just flabbergasted that there weren't a lot of nonprofits that were welcoming us with open arms as volunteers. Right. Um, and so I decided to figure out a way to create a database or a listing or something to help families like mine. And I partnered with an organization that your, that your listeners must 
learn about, which is called Doing Good Together. They're based in Minneapolis. Um, it's a national nonprofit, but for a long time, they were just sort of in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I reached out to the founder, a woman named Jenny Friedman, who you should have on because she's amazing. And um, she said to me, I said, listen, I live in New York City and I'm flabbergasted that I can't find opportunities here in New York City. Um, just like a, a straight listing of places that would accept us. And right. I want to start doing that. And she said, oh my God, I've been dreaming of, of sort of franchising this idea and, and sending, doing good together branches all over the country and you would be the first. Um, so sometimes- There are that, no coincidences. No, totally. And um, so I launched the first uh, regional branch, if you will, chapter of doing good together. I'm a volunteer for them. I've been doing that for nine or 10 years. And I curate a listing of family-friendly volunteer opportunities that is pushed out to um, thousands of subscribers every single month. And I love it. And it's how I learn about organizations. It's how I learn about uh, volunteer work that we can do in the five boroughs of Manhattan, of, of New York. And um, we live in Manhattan, but I, I include opportunities from all five boroughs and even a little bit Long Island and Westchester. Um, and it's just, it's really important. And I think that people, I think you'll agree that people want this information. They would do the work if it was sort of handed to them on a silver platter. Well, and they don't know where to start and they right. don't know, they, I mean, people come to me and I know they've come to you all the time, Heidi, you know, we have 50,000 nonprofits in LA, but I don't know where to start and I don't know what to do. Yeah. And where do I start? It's overwhelming. And it's sometimes when you're overwhelmed, you just don't start at all, right? You need a simple, tiny step um, to get going, which is obviously, how um, the author piece. That's how the book came. Right. So, so tell I, us about that. Right. So, so in the last 10 years or so, I became that lady, right? I became the Heidi of New York City. So I would literally get texts or emails or people stopping me in the, on the street like, hey, you know, I have all these coats in my closet. My kid has all these books. I'm cleaning out the books. Where am I sending the books? Right. I still get those kinds of texts like to right. this because And it's my joy. I, I call myself a consultant. I love doing this. If a kid has a bar or bat mitzvah, a kid has a birthday party, all of these things, like people would just reach out to me like, where can I do this? How can I volunteer at Thanksgiving and at Christmas? Right. You know, unfortunately or, or fortunately, um, people really do focus on these things and think about them around the holidays. Yeah. But as I like to remind everyone, there are people who are hungry and who are in need of our help okay. every single day of the year, January, February, March. It's so not seasonal work that we it, do. It is not it's seasonal. Not, right. It, and, the, and in fact, the pantries are even more empty in January, unfortunately. So I said to myself, after I became this lady in my community, this kind of free resource, and I, it's my joy to do it. But I'm like, hmm, seems like there's a book here. And if you look out in the world of, of, you know, literature, of parenting guides and things, there really aren't very many. Um, I did a little competitive analysis. So I said, you know what? I love to write. I've always been a writer. I was part of a writer's workshop where they were really encouraging us to, to get our stuff out there. And I put together a proposal and somebody bought it. And the first book kind of magically happened in 2019. So the, tell us, so the first book, this one is for, the new book is about, is for teens, but the first book was. The first book was Simple Acts, The Busy Family's Guide to Giving Back. That's and that cool. was um, literally a prescriptive resource guide with, you know, lists and tips and resources and websites, how to have a birthday party where, you know, where you have right. giving, giving and service and, and giving back and, and uh, collection drives and all that sort of stuff, how to incorporate giving back and service into a family vacation. Um, you know, it's 
just it was it was chock full of these and it was really very step by step it was a lot of bulleted things and right. then on the side I had these little sidebars of my own personal narratives about doing this work with my children both the successes and the failures because um it's a it's a bumpy road um and it's not a one volunteering and and service is not a one-size-fits-all no and sometimes when you do it with kids especially it can be disastrous and so I wanted to remind people that it's okay you know, if it doesn't go perfectly, right. that doesn't mean it wasn't worthwhile. If right. your kid totally missed it and didn't right. get what you were doing, right. it's okay because just the fact that you've done the work and the next time you do it and the next time you do it, and that's right. really the key is making a habit of it right. and creating these traditions around milestones, around holidays, just generally creating a habit and, of service. rolling it into life, right? right? It has to roll into life. I mean, I remember when our kids were little, we started when they were little with Christmas because that just made the most sense. You're getting presents and, and other people aren't, you know, I would present a smorgasbord of like five nonprofits at Thanksgiving before Thanksgiving. And we would pick what it was going to be. And like one year, the kids said, oh, soldiers, that's so cool. We want to adopt a soldier. Can we have a soldier? I have three boys. And so, you know, we adopt the soldier. And so we would send his care package every month and the boys would all put letters in, but he was a um, ambulance helicopter pilot stationed. And so it was cool. He would send pictures and write letters yep. back, thanking the boys. They loved adopting the soldier, but it was a monthly commitment. It went all year. It didn't, it wasn't just for Christmas. It went all year. And it, they still talk about it, but that it planted the seed for them because then they're like, well, what are we next year? And then it was about, you know, animals and we wanted to do dog, whatever. And so, well, just, I, right? I love so much about that story because it's a couple of things that I talk about in both books, but giving kids agency, right? Giving kids choices, letting them drive the discussion, letting them pick things that are important to them or that are meaningful to them. You know, this, this notion that we are just going to tell our kids, we're going to go out and do this service like, that's okay. We do tell our kids that we have to do certain things. Right. And sometimes they need a little guidance. But if you engage in a conversation with kids around a table, kids of any age, and maybe for younger children, you start with a picture book or whatever, you give them some options, right? right. Like we, we like to present a few options that they right. can choose from because that makes a lot more sense. Um, you know, they're not going to say, I want to work with horses. And then you're like, right. oh, I've got to find something with horses. Although there is stuff with horses. There um, is. You know, that sort of um, having an intentional conversation with your family. And then what I also love that you said was making it a habit. This was something we didn't just do for Christmas. And then we forgot all about him. This was an ongoing commitment. Ongoing. And we know this research shows that the things that kids remember are the traditions and the things that were done over and over and over again not the one-off thing. The kids do not remember the one-off. I'm sorry, folks. They don't remember <laughs> the Disney. They don't remember the one-off thing. They remember the thing that your family did with regularity every Sunday, every other Sunday, uh, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, we did this. And those are the memories. And that that's family tradition. And it's so, so important to do that around service. I, I completely, completely agree. So what are some of the benefits? I'm asking question that I know the answer, but I, and I'm not trying to spoil alert because I want everyone to buy the book, but I mean, you and I both, our kids are kind of similar age. Mine are a little bit older than yours, but, um, but we're starting to the point where we're seeing the end results of that consistency. Right. We're starting to see the payoff, right? We're starting to see that we have these kind, thoughtful, empathetic, you know, adults, young adults. Um, and, 
and we're seeing kind of the seeds of our work come to fruition. But what are some of the benefits um, for parents that are kind of just beginning uh, for doing this? I mean, there, there's so much research around this, it's kind of staggering. And in fact, there's been a lot of research in the last couple of years over the pandemic, because we've seen that the fact that we can't volunteer has had this kind of detrimental effect. So right. we know that volunteering, first of all, volunteers live longer, <laughs> they are happier, they are less depressed, they are more connected. Mm -hmm. um, young people who volunteer um, are more likely to stay in school, they're more likely to do well academically, they're less likely to engage in risky behaviors. Young people who volunteer with friends are more likely to continue to want to do that. Young people, children and young adults who volunteer with their families are more likely to do that as adults with their families. I mean, you know, the it's just research just goes on and on and on and on. And we also know, I don't think this, this is, you know, any newsflash, but when you do something nice for another person, even if that person doesn't acknowledge it or doesn't know that it's you, you get an endorphin rush. There is literally an adrenaline endorphin rush. It is similar to a, a runner's high. They call it the helper's high. And it's a real physiological experience. And so I don't know why we wouldn't want to give that gift to our children and to our teens, and particularly right now in terms of social isolation, um, feeling very disconnected from other humans because of the pandemic. Volunteering is a real way to connect with other people, to look a person in the eye and have a conversation and learn about their life experience. I mean, you're seeing that, as you've said, it's coming to fruition. It gives kids a worldview. Um, it is just so vitally, vitally important. I can't, I can't stress enough the benefits. I don't think there are any, frankly, I don't think there are any downsides. Isn't it just remarkable that, I mean, I think about this all the time. I mean, the world has a lot of problems. And right now I know that, you know, the world is kind of a crazy place, a little bit more than usual post pandemic. And I feel like this is the secret sauce, people. Like, it's just so obvious right. to you it's and I, right? It's, 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 it's so obvious. Like, okay, get out of your bedroom, get away from the video game, right. get out there and help somebody. Right. And, you, and you help yourself so much more. And it is the one thing that I think we're talking about is a little addictive. Like, you know, some of us get a little caught up. Like I get definitely, my husband's like, could you have, you know, been a shopaholic or something it would have been a little easier. I'm like, well, I just, I, I just, you know, you get addicted to it. It's such a great feeling. And there's no better feeling than knowing that your life in some tiny little way played the hand in somebody else's. There's just something that's that's indescribable about what that is. Right. And it isn't about us, It's, but that's not why you do it, but right. it comes back to you in such a powerful way. 100%. And I think when there's a personal relationship with one person or a group of people, a group of children, perhaps that your child that your child is, is mentoring or, or doing sports with or something like that, that relationship that, you know, those connections, that's the stuff that they're gonna remember. And that's what brings them so much joy. And to your point, that's why they wanna keep coming back, right? So you've created this relationship with this little group of kids that you're teaching them how to play, play basketball. You're not gonna let them down. They love to play basketball with you. You feel so great because you're teaching them something. And so you wanna get out there. You wanna do the work. I get that question all the time from parents. Like, how do you make them go, go and do it? Or how do you encourage them to continue to do it? And I always say, if they love it, if they have a fantastic experience, if they do it with friends and it's this really positive experience, they're gonna wanna go back 
over and over and over again. Exactly. I'll just tell you one small story. So we used to go, um, we still do, but not for this particular family. There's an organization here in New York called Dorot, which is a Jewish organization that um, helps elderly people uh, all over the city. Um, and we would visit um, an elderly couple on Hanukkah and we would go and Dorot would give us a package and we would light the candles and we would sing the songs and say the prayers together. And so they matched us, they always do a match. They matched us with Betty and Fred Schwartz who were Holocaust survivors. And they were the sweetest. We went every year for seven or eight years. She wore the same sweater. She oh. made us the latkes. We sang the songs. We got to know her cat. Um, Freddie had had a stroke, so he was nonverbal, but he would sit and smile and look at us. And so that was one of the things that we did one night of Hanukkah. And as you know, Hanukkah is this crazy holiday that instead of one night of toys, <laughs> eight night of toys. Well, guess what? it's not eight nights of toys at our house. Um, when my kids were little, I was like, we're not going to do that. We're going to do a couple of nights of gifts, but we're going to bake cookies for our neighbors on one night. And we'll do our, our derote visit one night and we'll do these types of things. And without fail every year before Hanukkah, my kids would say, what night are we going to see the Schwartzes? Aww. And I would tell you that that is oh, really going to cry. One of the most, and of course, unfortunately, they passed away, and and so that was heartbreaking um, when we couldn't go back to see them when we've gone to visit others now um, since. But to have that relationship over some number of years, and to have them, and then we would see them occasionally over the course of the year, we would exchange oh. photographs and that sort of thing. One year, their family was having a Hanukkah party, we walked into it, and we became like <laughs> But that memory, I, if you ask any of my kids, like that would be the memory that they come back to. Not the Lego set, right? right? No, not the Barbie, no. not the stupid Barbie doll that I ran right. all over creation, <laughs> right? That Barbie doll is in the garbage. Right. But that relationship with the Schwartzes is the thing that they'll remember. And so, I don't know, I think we're just a like mind here that I, I don't know why we wouldn't, we wouldn't give this to our kids. Right. Completely. I mean, I, my, one of my, two of my boys have dyslexia and, uh, and my uh, middle son was in high school and playing football and trying to find time struggling with where he, how he's going to serve and do service. And, uh, I said, well, you know, have you ever thought about helping someone with reading? Cause that was something that you really struggled with in first grade. Have you ever thought about it? And so we found this reading partners organization and he had a first grader that was his first grader. And he had committed to this little boy in an underserved community that he was going to come twice a week and read with him and work with him. Well, they formed such a close friendship. And then the football coach said, look, you're not going to be starting quarterback if you miss this practice. And he said, I have, I've made a commitment to this little boy and I'm, I am not, not coming. And ultimately the coach rewarded him for his commitment to, you know, because he was like, uh, and he said, no, I, I've made this commitment first to this little boy. And it's the same thing, that relationship was huge. He okay. just, he, he just adored his time with him and he totally understood what it was like being a first grader struggling to read because he struggled. Right. And yeah. that, and you've really hit on another piece, which is a big part of the teen book, which is again, finding the thing that the teen or tween cares about, what they're good at, what they want to do, what they feel they have a skill in or that they're, you know, a strength they relate in. to in some way and, and can relate to. I'm not talking about being a concert pianist and or being, a, you know, an Olympic swimmer. I am talking about something that the teen enjoys doing and can, and feels like they can share. And in sharing makes them feel confident, 
makes them feel better about themselves. And once they find that, that connection between their skills and their passions and the, the issues that they want to, how they might apply those to make a difference, and then finding an opportunity that uses those two things, that's that's the secret sauce. That's the magic right there. And, and that's the magic. And that's the magic that we go through in life, right? Trying to find our career, trying to find our college, trying to find all these things. Yeah. It's that same recipe of finding your strengths, finding your gifts and how you're going to use them in the best place that makes you be the best of yourself. So it's the formula that we use all along. So why wouldn't we start out early when they really need it and when, where they need the confidence the most and they need to have all of those pieces. Um, so I love that you are doing this more than anything. Tell us by any chance you have like a motto that you live by or certain like words or phrase that you live by. Do you have like a go-to motto or phrase? I, well, one is one I really love is, um, we rise by lifting others. That's sort of my favorite. You know, I, I'm just a firm believer that we, (laughs) I don't win unless you win. Um, and, and that's true in the workplace. That's true in school. That's true on every sports team. That's true. If you dance, if you do theater, um, it's, it's true everywhere. So if I am successful, you are successful. If I have some resources that I can share, everyone benefits if I share them. So I just love, we rise by lifting others. I think that that's, um, you know, if, if we achieve anything in life and we have completely forgotten everybody that was with us, um, we, we haven't achieved anything. We haven't had um, and so, and I, and I particularly believe that that's true for women, you know, in the workplace, especially like, you know, we all have to look out for each other. Um, as a writer, I am just overwhelmed by the women's that the women I've met in writers workshops and in different forums who are constantly championing me, you know, cheerleading, referring my people to my book, you know, posting about me on social media. Like I just, it gives me so much. Um, I'm just so proud to be a part of these communities, and I do think that that's that's so it so important. Back. It comes back. You don't. You're not doing it to get anything, but it's just you get so much more when you give, and it comes back in such unimaginable ways. You don't even know. Unbelievable. You don't even know what to to do with it, right? It's just a. It, it's a. It's a beautiful thing, and it's people you know who are always holding tight to whatever it is they're their last penny or whatever, they don't, the joy is not there. The joy is so in giving and and, and, and giving you receive, right? It's just a hundred percent. And then I will also say right behind me, there's a little wooden thing that my daughter made at camp, which just says, be kind. Right. So, and I just say this to my kids kids all the time. I'm like, just be kind, just be kind, just be not like, just be kind. And honestly, everything will work out. You will make friends. And if the, and if someone that, if someone is being mean to you, I tell my kids this all the time. If someone's being mean to you, please remember they are going through something. Right. Something happened to them. Hurt yep. people hurt other yep. people. If someone is bullying you. Let's just take a step back and think, why is that happening? It's probably because somebody is being mean to them. Yeah. Should we not maybe feel sad for them? Sorry right. for them. Rise above that. And so this be kind thing that my kid, my who's now 14, my daughter made Aww. for me at camp. And I just love it. It sits in my behind me during podcasting and my kid. Right. Even though no one can see this because you're all listening. <laughs> um, and mine is right here. And my sign says, what good shall I do today? That's right. That's like, right. What shall I do today? So this be kind sign that my kid made in Woodshop sits in my kitchen and I love it. And Aww. so she made it and they send me a picture from the summer camp that she's holding it in the woodshop. And I just love it. And of course, using it on all my- Mom, you did it. 
But then, and she was only like nine or 10 at the time. And then come to find out, this is a very weird thing. Her favorite counselor in the world, I go to visiting day, her favorite counselor has the words be kind tattooed on her, on her elbow. Oh, I wow. That. Isn't that weird? Wow. Yeah. That's so, awesome. So I have a picture of my daughter's face next to her counselor's elbow. <laughs> words be kind tattooed on there and I don't know that feels sort of another uh, I think like attracts like that's all I have to say and I think that that's the case with your daughter and her camp counselor and being <laughs> someone who runs a nonprofit summer camp which starts this week um I definitely see that with like attracting like so how do you think do you think you've changed it all since this whole journey has started do you think that you've changed in any way I, I do. I think that I um, have a lot more gratitude for um, my life, um, certainly. And I appreciate so much um, the work that people do. You know, I'm, I'm also part of a couple of giving circles, one here in New York City called Impact 100 um, NYC, which is a women's giving circle. And um, I am just blown away by the nonprofits, some very small, some larger, that um, come to us with grant applications and that we get to review and we get to visit and then we give out uh, one or two transformational grants of $100,000 each. And I just see over and over, and you see this through your work on this podcast, um, that a person has a, a, a dream, a person has an idea, a person has a passion, something they're concerned about, something that has impacted them personally. And that they say, what can I do to help? And they just make it happen on a shoestring with no money and no resources and no place. And I am blown away, blown away on a regular basis by the nonprofits that I have met through the Giving Circle, through my work with Doing Good Together, through my research from my books, um, through the organizations that we've you know, personally gotten involved with as a family, over and over and over and over again. I'm just so heartened. You know, you mentioned earlier, we're living in a really tough time. I, you know, it is a very, very sad, sad world that we're living in and so much that feels very helpless and hopeless. And uh, you think to yourself, what can I possibly do to affect any change and make this any better? Right. And when I look at these nonprofits that I've learned about over these years of doing this work, uh, they give me hope. A hundred percent. I think that this is the most selfish podcast in um, America because I, I selfishly seek out amazing humans like you who are to me, angels on this planet that, that use their lives to serve other people that use their lives to be messengers of service that use their lives to help. And, um, and when people say, you know, where are the heroes? Where, right. where are all the heroes that used to be everywhere when we were growing up? Where are they? Like they're there, they're, they're there and they're in, they're in all sorts of shapes and sizes that, and That's right. not just nonprofit founders, but, but if you want to, if you want a straight, a straight shot of where they are, you go to those nonprofits right. and you will find them. And they are out there and they're not asking for praise nope. and they're not standing on podiums nope. and people aren't clapping for them and showering them with praise. They're simply out there on the ground boots on the ground every single day doing the work. That's and right. that, that is the thing that gets me choked up when I, you know, when we make a grant and the, the founder comes up and starts talking about this work. Um, and it's, it's typically, again, something that has impacted him or her personally in their lives. Like I, I cannot tell you enough 
how much hope that gives me for our future. Um, and when I see young people doing this work as well. And that's really what the teen book is, is for me, which is I hope to inspire even one teenager to say, hmm, you know what? There is something I can do. I can't change the whole world, but maybe there is one person that I can help today. And that could impact that person's whole day, their week, their life. Um, and I just want people to know that they can do that. Families and teenagers, especially. I think that we're living in a time where we're very cynical about teenagers and we think that they're very self-centered and they're focused on their phones and technology. And they're they don't- the same really as they always were. They are always the same. I'm sure people said that about me and you. And right. by the way, I would argue that this generation of young people is engaged. They, they pay attention. They call out injustice yep. when they see it. They yep. use social media to amplify the good and the important messages. And they're not gonna stand for it because we've messed things up pretty well. And they now have to go and fix it. And I hope in some small way to give them the tools to believe in themselves that they can. So tell everybody listening where and how we can support you, where we can find your books, plural, but especially your new book. Yes. Um, and tell us where we can find it and how we can support you and your incredible work. Absolutely. So the old book is still available on Amazon, Simple Acts, The Busy Family's Guide to Giving Back. The new book is also available for pre-order on Bookshop and Amazon and all the places. Um, my website is simpleactsguide.com and there's links to all that stuff there and some of my other writing. And on social media, I love to post stories about nonprofits. I love to amplify great stories and to show where folks can volunteer and how they can get involved in their communities. And that's at Simple Acts Guide. I love that. Well, I hope everybody listening has been, is going to run out and buy the book first and foremost, or, and, or buy the books for friends, for gifts, for all sorts of things. I think it's a fantastic gift. And I also think it's a great thing for all of our um, high school kids, even if they're just starting high school or in high school, college apps and all of those things. There's a lot of different um, terrific tips in there that I think will get people going in the right path to being a great human, let alone to getting into a good school. So <laughs> Thank you, Natalie, for just inspiring us. And I, I, I do just want to say, like, I haven't forgotten you're talking about your family being from Ukraine and that's just like weighing heavy on my heart. So big prayers to your family and to all the, all those in Ukraine right now. And thank you for inspiring us with just this beautiful work. I know that you are um, planting the seed of compassion in everyone who reads that book. So I think it's just beautiful. Thank you so much, Heidi. This has been such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Charity Matters podcast. I so enjoyed talking to our guest, Natalie Silverstein, about what it takes to start a business that truly changes people's lives. I think her comment about lifting others was so inspiring and true. To learn more about modern day heroes like Natalie, or if you'd like reach out to us visit us at charity-matters.com or connect with us on instagram at charity matters if you enjoyed our conversation we would love it if you shared it with your family and friends and please don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe remember together we can make a difference one small act of kindness at a time charity matters <laughs>